You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more about this show, as well as my other podcast, How to Stand, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com. There you'll find episode guides, as well as additional reading, more exclusive content, tons of great stuff. And never miss an update, an album review, interview, etc. by subscribing to the free newsletter, howtostand.substack.com. You could also become a paying subscriber on Substack, and that means you're supporting an independent creator and become part of a community, howtostand.substack.com. Enjoy the show! Hey everybody, welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. Today, I'm going to start a new routine, incorporating a Seven Fates Chaco episode recap in my weekly headline roundup episodes. So today, we are going to talk about episode one, and then dive into some more news from the world of K-pop. Let's just dive right in, talking about what Seven Fates Chaco is all about, along with some additional historical context, not super, super, super relevant to their sci-fi action story here, but interesting fun facts, interesting historical context. So this sci-fi fantasy story revolves around this team of tiger hunters who come together as Chaco, the seven members, the seven fates, brought together to defeat them. And the premise basically boils down to there being a separate world of these bulm, these scary, villainous tigers that are going to eat all the humans. But the seal between that world and the humans' world is broken. So all the tigers enter the human world and are causing chaos, so these guys learn they have to band up to stop them. RM's character, Dogyun, is this crime expert. At first, he doesn't want to cooperate. His character really thinks, I don't need a team, I can figure this out on my own. I know this is kind of not supposed to bring to mind the BTS world, the BTS music video universe. This is like its own separate sci-fi story. But it is very interesting that the character descriptions and the messaging from each of their characters here lines up a lot with who their music video characters are elsewhere. Like RM in Reflection and Persona, his character also has to learn, wait, I need other people to solve some issue in my life. Because he realizes he can't do it alone, because he can't even figure out who he is or how he can love and trust in himself enough to do it. Suga's character here, Sein, has had a traumatic backstory, was almost eaten by a tiger, really struggles at first emotionally to deal with this whole thing, and seems to know he's guilty for something. He's the one in the Seven Fates teaser video who rips the wanted poster off the gate like he can't stand to look at it. And that just brought to mind who he is in the BTS music video world, like with the First Love video, where his character is clearly going through some stuff. Vandalizes that music store, his character is a pyromaniac, a different type of troubled past that makes him feel like he's he's searching some sort of rush to feel whole again. Again, these parallels I'm just noting because I think they're really interesting, but I do think they're pretty much coincidental and this is a separate story here. But it's cool how each member kind of incorporates their personality into even the fantasy characters they embody. V's character, Juan, falls in love with a tiger. That's his source of conflict over he's on this mission to kill something he loves. Okay, this is kind of an anti-example of me drawing parallels to their music video characters. Although I guess you could say that with Stigma, V solo video from the Wings era, he was the one who got to show his love for animals with that puppy, so... J-Hope's character did something terrible, we don't know what it is yet. And we're also supposed to keep tabs on his golden eyes, whatever that means. 
his character has been kidnapped by a tiger too. Makes me think of, in his BTS music video world, he's this character who feels like he's done something bad that he needs to beg his mom for forgiveness for. Maybe he has the same eyes as his mother. He's trying to prove himself to someone he admires and trying to get out of a situation, despite showing a physical resemblance to the person he's trying to prove himself to. So the golden eyes are kind of his, I have more in common with these creatures than you might think, moment. Kind of maybe like him and Mama. Again, it's a stretch, but whatever. There's Jin's character, Juan, who is an archer. A really good archer. And Jin actually, in his promo video for this webtoon, was talking about, well, Koreans are pretty awesome archers. So his trademark confidence from Mr. Worldwide Handsome in this character as well. And he's kind of seeking vengeance because his family was killed by the tigers. And that's why he hunts them now, with this sense of vengeance. The fact that his whole family was wiped out by the tigers does bring to mind in his Awake video and in Epiphany how lonely his character is. The table is set for a lot of people, but no one else is showing up. He's the only one keeping himself company. Clones of himself are the only ones keeping each other company in Epiphany. Jimin's character, Haru, is a literal rock. Wait till Almo hears about this. He turns from a rock to a human magically, and now he has all this wisdom and experience he can help with on this mission because he was there to witness a bunch of stuff. He's been there, just taking it all in. So he's got the dirt on people and just the wisdom that comes with age. Jungkook's character, Zeha, is in a tricky situation because he's half human, half tiger. And he only finds out after he's attacked by a tiger that he has some tiger blood in him. So he really needs to hide the fact he's part tiger, or people might hunt him down too. I think it's worth remembering that V's character can fall in love with other species and loves tigers. And Jungkook's character was apparently the child of a human and a tiger. So I'm just saying, maybe these characters' parents are Jungkook's characters' parents or something. That might be a revelation later in the series. Some interesting facts about this era. This story is based on the folklore from... The folklore comes from the Joseon dynasty, which was South Korea's final dynasty. It was a time full of promoting Neo-Confucian values, discouraging Buddhism, and emphasizing realistic art, realism-focused art. It actually has a very interesting political backstory. Really interesting. And I'll link to a ton of articles about this on my monthly newsletter, but in a nutshell, there was so much secession drama in the Joseon dynasty. Tons of power struggles, disagreements over allocations of power and authority, these literati purges, those happened several times. And actually, the guy who was in charge during the purges eventually was forced out in a coup, and he wasn't super influential because he kind of was viewed as an illegitimate leader. But he also was because his dynasty brought in all sorts of transformation to South Korea because of his influential minister on staff, Joe Guanjo. And Guanjo really helped promote the super popular among the public, not the authorities and the political leaders, but among the public. Localization, localizing resources, lessening the wealth gap, land reform, and other things that would help lessen those wealth gaps, removing bureaucracy, bureaucratic hurdles to some extent. And actually, he was eventually executed. Then there was this third literati purge. Again, all in a nutshell, but it's super fascinating stuff. In this dynasty, made this area nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom. 
because they started promoting this isolationism after several invasions weakened it. The area did gain strength through promoting isolationism, but in the 19th century quickly had another downfall. And kind of irrelevant, but really interesting, while I was reading about this, is this social critic in the late 1600s, early 1700s, Yi Chun-Huan, said, quote, With so many different ranks and grades separating people from one another, people tend not to have a very large circle of friends, which was his way of critiquing the dress codes that enforce the separation of the different social classes. Anyway, I just thought that was a pretty good quote about, sheesh, if we need to make more friends, it's sure hard to do right now. So it was a really transformative time, and the arts were influential and transformative as well. As for the folklore specifically that is cited as a reference that inspired Seven Fates Chaco, again, I'll link to more about the folklore and its backstories on my newsletter. Some of the overt references Jimin made in his character intro video include the Bulgasari, which is actually also the name of the first all-Korean-made sci-fi film ever from 1962. It actually got terrible reviews, but at the time, that was not a surprise because, like I talked about on the episode called K-Dramas Past and Present, back then in the 60s, South Korean audiences really praised historical documentary-like content. Movies that were viewed as just for fun and less substantive and more magical, more fantastical, fictional, kind of frowned upon at the time. Anyway, some tellings of this Bulgasari story include that the government issued an order, this is a fantasy story, issued an order to arrest all these Buddhist monks. Remember, at this time, Buddhism was discouraged. One of the monks knocks on his sister's door, asking for a place to hide. But she instead decides to try to coax her husband into helping her get the bounty money. So her brother came to her in his hour of need and said, help, there's a bounty on my head. And she basically said, how much? And decided to try to rope her husband into this. Let's rat him out and get that money. Her husband was so enraged at this immoral idea that he decided to kill her and free the monk, help him escape. The moral of the story is supposed to be like, I mean, first of all, don't collect a bounty on your sibling, but also help people in their hour of need, I guess. Anyway, the Bulgasari is quite the classic legend in Korean folklore, and that's just one telling of it. Then there's the story of another character Jimin cited, the Ogui, which is actually a combination of characters. It spans a variety of them. The Ogui include these monsters, like the nine-tailed fox, these giant serpents, and Bulgasari are under that umbrella as well. You know, the Bulgasari actually have these tiger claws, but bear bodies. So mostly looking like bears, but elephant noses and tiger claws. Some other animal features too. The name literally means can't be killed because they eat all this metal and then have this metallic skeleton of armor, basically. So any weapon you try to use to kill the Bulgasari is just going to bounce off of them. Except fire. Fire is their kryptonite. Cue fire by BTS here. In Japan, the equivalent of yogui are yukai. And there's this really interesting book about yukai I will link to on my site, where Michael Foster wrote, quote, I begin this book with the inconclusive story, a mundane modern mystery, because it raises the simple question of how we interpret our world. In particular, how do we explain occurrences that don't easily fit our everyday understandings of the way things work? 
When we ask who or what turned on the television, we are intimating that there is a living being or animated force interacting with us, even though we cannot see it. We may visualize this force as a monster or a spirit or a ghost or a shape-shifting animal. In Japan, such a force in the form it takes is often called a yokai. That's just an interesting way to put it in perspective of we speculate subconsciously about these supernatural beings around us, these spirits, all the time. Hey, who turned off that light? Who turned on the TV? Who moved that item? I thought it was over there. And this is just kind of the equivalent of talking about ghosts or spirits in the Western world. But these yogi are the mystical creatures that may be alluded to in those kind of comments. Back to Seven Fates. The teaser video narration reads as follows, and in a lot of ways does also parallel the VTS music video universe. Quote, an unknown world that is unfolding and branching into countless directions. You get lost and wander in the world, more often than finding yourself on the right path. For a very long time, we have been sending signals to someone, anyone, that we are here. We are each other's near. Life compels us to continuously pose questions and cast out. What is important to us isn't the night sky far away, but right here, right now. That which is closest to you, but is only visible once you seek it. We call it fate. A new fate is unveiled, a new story begins, unquote. In each member's teaser poster, there are also some interesting details, like the allusion to ghosts or spirits, with Suga's character in his teaser video looking surprised and confused as a fan starts moving. Like, who turned on the fan? He's also seen chilling on a couch with his phone, which clearly brought to mind some past BTS videos, if you know you know. Also, just like that, J-Hope's character in a dance practice studio. One more notable thing from the teaser videos, Jimin was holding a cell phone. So is Suga's character, so maybe that's important to keep in mind. Maybe their characters are communicating. Alright, now let's get into what actually happened in episode 1. The action kicks off January 16th on the lunar calendar, which marks the Day of the Visitors. The day when the tigers can cross over. I should clarify, they don't just jump out and overtly commit tiger attacks. They disguise themselves as humans first, then they pounce at some point. That's why Jungkook's character is an extra danger, because people are kind of on high alert when is this one day a year of the visitors, that anyone around them could be a tiger. This is also the day Zeha, Jungkook's character's parents died. It starts off with a lot of action, a lot of fight scenes, that iconic moment was back that I just lost it over. You know, in BTS videos, the iconic moment when RM will reach out his hand to the screen and offer to help someone get up when they're at a very low point, literally and metaphorically. It's a recurring thing in the BTS music video world. So excited they incorporated it here. So the world of shadows, as it's called, has been left. The tigers have officially blended in to the other world. The story starts with Zeha's character being approached by this dude who's like, don't you want to know how your parents died? Zeha's character reflects, well, actually years ago if I had been asked that by a random guy on the street, I would still be like, yes, tell me everything. But now I'm like, eh, not gonna trust you. I don't need to know anyway. Actually, Zeha says, quote, geez, cults these days just don't know when to stop. But he has to admit his curiosity is piqued. Because this guy who's like, I know how your parents died, also reveals he knows his mom was a shaman. 
He knows his name before he ever told him. He knows where he previously lived. And he says, I can tell you even more. You can have even more clarity if you go to Inwon Mountain. Inwonsun Mountain is a real mountain in South Korea, actually. The name literally means Mountain of Generous King. Zeha does end up actually going straight to the mountain, but then he doesn't remember what happened next. He wakes up in a hospital bed with a chest wound he has no memory of getting. Ain realizes he's been in the hospital for three days. Has no idea what happened after he followed that mystery man's instructions. This detective enters his hospital room for questioning. Because he says, I have to question you because you're the sole survivor. And 24 others perished on the mountain that night from an attack. Remember, Zeha is secretly half-tiger, which would explain why he survived when the others did not. The detective feels like this guy's really suspicious, because Zeha genuinely keeps answering his questions with, I don't know, and I can't remember. And this detective is like, hmm, you know something. But he lets it go and leaves the room, probably still thinking about Zeha, which seems notable for later. Over the course of the next month, similar attacks happen across the city. A state of emergency has been declared. Zeha returns to the mountain to try to figure out what the heck happened. This time when he goes there, he sees a crack in a rock he did not remember seeing before. When he approaches it, this burst of light comes out and causes his wound to feel like it's on fire. Kind of reminds me of like Harry Potter with his scar burning on his forehead every time something happened to he who must not be named. Feels like that kind of connection to the world he has. This is like a trigger for him. Anyway, this light shoots out and the rock comes to life as Haru, who introduces himself, and says, quote, It's not a dream, my child, which would make me think it most certainly had to be a dream, but whatever. So this guy says he is the one tasked with maintaining that seal to keep the tiger world from the other world. Zeha basically tells him, well, you're doing a lousy job at that. You had one job. It's kind of funny, though, because when Zeha really pounces at this, Haru just calmly says, quote, I see you've grown quite violent. When Zeha presses him, hey, why aren't you doing your job? Haru says, well, this happened not because of me, but because of you. You are the one who broke the seal permanently. Yeah, from an outside perspective, definitely sounds like Haru's just passing the book. But you also have to remember, he's probably telling the truth, actually, just in a very weird, sus way. But Zeha is half-tiger and probably did, without trying, his mere existence is enough to have permanently broken that dividing line. Their camaraderie is off to a rocky, if existent at all, start. And that's where part one ends. So tune in next week. I will recap episode two. Alright, here's time for an awkward segue. Speaking of very tense relationships... There is a legal update I want to share about the case we've been covering week after week on the show between Samuel and Brave Entertainment. Long, long, long story short, they were going back and forth. Brave Entertainment kept wanting to appeal after the court eventually did rule in Samuel's favor. The appeal was rejected. Samuel kept winning. And now Brave Entertainment has officially decided to let it go. They're not going to further press an appeal and have reached an amicable agreement with Samuel. This has been commented on by both parties, so it really is true they've reached an agreement. Not just Brave Entertainment making that up. This agreement was official January 13th of this year, and Samuel posted to social media, quote, The past three years of court proceedings have been difficult, but it has been a time when I was able to think and learn a lot. 
Now I ask for your support as I return as an adult, and I will do my best with the mindset of starting from the beginning again while not losing my original intention. Unquote. Very happy for him. And someone else I'm always very happy for that we have to talk about. Taeyeon. His first solo magazine cover is here. It's for W Korea's February issue. If you live in the USA like me, shipping and handling is an exorbitant amount. But aside from that, it's a very exciting cover to see. I really think he's going to keep shining on his own in so many ways. Modeling, singing, writing, producing, choreography. I mean, he did just surpass 1.1 million monthly Spotify listeners. Plus, the Taeyeon topic in general on YouTube has reached 45,000 subscribers. And, and this is the biggest reason why I am so excited as a Taeyeon superfan for his 2022, I definitely see just so many more people gravitating towards his work this year is because the Zoo Challenge trend, the dance trend, has racked up over 100 million TikTok views. It's very TikTok ready, so it's going to end up on a lot of For You pages for people who never heard of Taeyeon. And the exposure is only going up from here and is actually really big because that's actually, for context, more than double the TikTok views of the Kick It Challenge. So more Taeyeon choreography is getting more than twice the attention that it did previously. One more big news story about a favorite artist of mine. This news made me feel so incredibly sad and then so incredibly relieved. It was quite an emotional ride reading and really internalizing this news. SM Entertainment issued a statement revealing that Taemin will complete his military time by transitioning into being a public service worker. And he will be doing this because in his current position, he just doesn't have the amount of time he needs for therapy. They said that he has actually been dealing with anxiety and depression from way before joining the military, seeking help for it. But balancing that help with military time has grown unattainable and his symptoms are just worsening. So he's going to try to balance more time in treatment with his military duties by transitioning to a public service worker post. My sadness comes for obvious reasons, that he's in a dark place right now and I just wish him the best. But my relief comes from, first of all, SM Entertainment didn't have to go there. They could have just said health issues. That's their typical response to issues of mental health. Um, they're taking personal leave. They have unforeseen circumstances to attend to. For them to be this specific in citing what the issue is and disclosing that this treatment has been sought even before military time, that's actually really big. That's a powerful statement in more ways than one. I really hope it has a ripple effect. Second reason why I'm relieved is because, honestly, it feels like it gives some more clarity about who he is, and I hope that openness is something he never regrets, because I've been thinking through lately, in hindsight, all of the moments I should have been like, of course, that's why. Because certain videos of his, certain concepts where he's battling an alter ego or just himself, like the Press Your Number video, the Criminal video, videos where he's the source of his own pain and sense of getting trapped and stuck, and his source of survival and revival. Him constantly sinning about these dual sides to himself duking it out. Now I get why he's been my favorite soloist for so long. Now I get why he's 
His music has resonated so much with me because as I've opened up about on this show plenty of times before, I have severe chronic anxiety. Several separate anxiety issues that have molded together to create just the worst thing ever. And opening up about that is really helpful to me, as is seeing my struggles played out in art forms. In interpretable music video songs, things you can take from what you need to. Those therapeutic outlets are therapeutic for listeners too, and viewers because we see ourselves in certain parts of it that our minds choose to amplify for us. So it's a special thing to help cope in this world, feel less alone, and I'm so glad he has art as an outlet to do that. Really very appreciative of that. So I'm very relieved that he said all this. It gives me clarity too a bit about, of course, that's why I found this particular song so jolting or this music video so captivating because I saw myself in it. And also I think this is huge because he's a leader. If you're an SM Town stan, a huge SM Entertainment fan like me, you know how much he is the centerpiece of that world. Shiny, Super M, his solo stuff, he's got a lot on his plate. And it's got to be so mentally draining to be in that position, to feel the weight of the agency largely on your shoulders. And so for him as a leader, to say he's taking time away to focus on mental health is so important. So, so important. Especially in light of the trauma him and his fellow bandmates have had to deal with, the grief they've learned to cope with. I'm just so relieved to hear confirmation that he is seeking help for that. Asking is the first big step towards relief, so... I just wanted to bring this up and talk about it a bit because I can relate and I'm just very hopeful this will continue to positively shape the K-pop world. Every time a statement like this comes out, that just flat out says, the reason is this mental illness. Alright, real quick, let's cover some miscellaneous headlines. One Us has announced a USA tour, the Blood Moon tour, that is February 12th to March 12th. They actually, it's interesting, they're covering 14 cities and some cities that are pretty much always off of K-pop X radars. My fellow Chicago area people, New York people, Los Angeles people, we get so lucky. If you're like a Nowheresville random state that's not New York, Illinois, California, Florida, Texas, if you're not in any of those main states and a K-pop act comes to town, that's a nice rare treat. So anyway... They're going to more places than most K-pop acts do. Meanwhile, ATEEZ's tour is continuing. But because of the Omicron variant, wanting to step up protocols, fans with VIP access will be required to not just wear masks, use hand sanitizer, things like that, but your actual VIP high touch no longer has the touch. It's just a high. So you walk past your favorite members and wave and leave. No touch, and they're putting up plexiglass sneeze guards between you and the members. So it's basically the equivalent of seeing them through a shop window and having to keep on walking. Honestly, I'm curious what you guys think. Let me know, I'll leave a comment in the Spotify version of this episode. Is this too much? Was the N95 mask requirement plenty with a negative COVID test and or a vaccine pass? Genuinely wondering just, do you think the prices should have changed maybe? I feel like you should pay less for a VIP experience if it's no longer a high touch, it's just a high. I think the lack of physical contact is fine. I'm okay and I understand their hesitancy to do that. All the latest data though shows that you're way more likely to get COVID from air issues, air filtration issues, being indoors too long with other people who aren't vaccinated, breathing in the same air, etc. than you are through physical contact. 
Since the days of wiping down every grocery item, we've learned that it's not likely you'll get COVID from touch. But I understand their reasoning still, so that I'm okay with. The one thing I feel like is honestly not backed up by the latest studies as necessary or even helpful are those plexiglass things, the sneeze guards. Barrier set up between two people in the same room. As if the virus knows to not walk around it. That seems like it really dulls the experience. Remove all barriers, I say. Keep it contact free, but I say get rid of the plexiglass. It's the least you can do to keep the experience feeling intimate. The 2022 Coachella lineup is here. There are some changes to it. Epic High was actually going to perform on day three, but they're going to play on day one this time. Same day as Big Sean, Pink Sweats. Ooh, that'd be a cool collab on stage. Also same day as Harry Styles. Day one is where it's at. Although also, Kyari Pamu Pamu, the J-pop star, is going to be there on day two. But it looks like Miku was taken off the list. If I missed her, someone let me know, please, but I'm pretty sure Miku is on the 2020 poster, but not the 2022 one. That's frustrating, because we stand Miku. And it seems like if any act wouldn't have to cancel, it would be her, because she can be a hologram projected anywhere in the world the second you want her to, so... Luna is set to have an online and offline concert through My Music Taste next month. February 12th, 3 Korean time, 10 p.m. Pacific time, midnight central time. Some 17 updates. The new boy group Tempest performed a cool dance cover of Hit. Soongwon won a day saying for best male idol entertainer at the first brand awards. And he's the new magazine cover star for First Look. As we wait for the February premiere of a new season of Going 17, 17 released a delightful live stream event to tide us over, and you can watch the playback on their YouTube channel now. Some much faster headlines real quick. Rainism finally on Spotify. Oh Hee Jun from K&K has been confirmed to have left the group. He had actually been with them back since 2016. And Jun In-sun announced he's still a part of the group, but first he's going to enlist February 8th. Minyeon from Brave Girls is taking a health-related hiatus, so Na-un from A-Pink will be sitting out promotional activities for now due to a scheduling conflict. Former Super Junior member Kim Ki-bum signed with PA Entertainment as an actor. FNC Entertainment confirmed AOA's Jimin. Her contract has ended and they have officially just parted ways. All Dreamcatcher members have launched individual Instagram accounts. BM from Card joined Twitter. Ravi is joining the Weverse app January 27th. KCM is officially married, as is jewelry member Kim Unjun. Congrats to Chen from EXO, who is officially now a dad of two. Congrats to Xinhua's Andy, who is now engaged, as is Soyeon, formerly of Tiara. TXT's upcoming fan meeting will take place March 5th at 6 p.m. Korean time and March 6th, 5 p.m. Korean time, the third anniversary celebration. And this one will be streamed online as well. Speaking of artists from that company, the latest BTS design merch is coming. Jimin is revealed to have designed this purple hoodie that looks super comfy. Binny from Oh My Girl announced she is changing her stage name to Yubin. The four members of Omega X who caught COVID have all since recovered. BNBM's new album B topped iTunes in 30 regions. 
Taeyeon from Girls' Generation topped iTunes in 14 regions with her pre-release single from her upcoming album, Can't Control Myself. Suga, not as August D, reached 1 million Spotify subscribers. Max Chainman's new album, Devil, topped iTunes in 14 regions. And Hyphen's new album, Dimension Answer, topped iTunes in 11 regions and has already surpassed half a million album sales in week one. 10 million views reached on Happy Death Day by Extinary Heroes, 50 million views Jesse's Cold-Blooded, 100 million on ATs's Wonderland, 200 million Espa's Black Mamba, and 300 million Blackpink's Lovesick Girls. Lastly, my action item for you today is just a place to start because this issue is just so much more than an individual level what can be done. In light of a horrifying anti-Semitic hostage situation at a synagogue in Texas, I just want you to please take some time to think about the anti-Semitism that still inflicts the world, really. And you can learn more at jewishvirtuallibrary.org. Tons of resources there. Because I feel like all too often, the ways people weaponize religion against each other and villainize certain religions is just missing too often from conversations about discrimination in its many forms. Anti-Semitism is alive and well. And I think we have to just make a conscious effort, unfortunately, to remind ourselves of how big this news story truly is and how it should be jolting and how it deserves our attention so much. So anyway, jewishvirtuallibrary.org, great place to start reading up. Thank you all for listening to today's roundup of K-pop updates. Be well. Thank you all for listening. And I'll talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everyone.